And here we are, another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, Mayor Alex Nuttall stops in to give us a first-hand account of the new inclusive playground in Painswick, also looks back on what was learned at a recent City Hall committee meeting regarding the homeless situation in the city and its impact, especially downtown. The Barry Colt season opens tonight at home. We get a preview of what's to come. It is Push the Button Day, firefighters launching a new initiative on an old theme to help keep us safe. And the 2024 edition of Gilda's Place Raw and Reflective Calendar is out. It is one of the biggest sources of funding for some unique programs to help those living with cancer. But first, thrilled to have in the Barry 360 studio, Jesse Eldridge of Barry, chosen by the New York franchise in the third round of the recent Professional Women's Hockey League draft. Also have her dad, Dwayne Eldridge, who coaches the Barry Junior Sharks under-22 elite team. So yeah, we're going to talk some hockey. First to Jesse, I watched the draft, saw when you were chosen. What was it like sitting there, waiting, and then hearing your name called? I think it was a pretty surreal experience. I think there's a big group of us that have been working towards this moment for a number of years, like you alluded to. So to see it come together and to see the amount of people that put time into it, uh, it was a dream come true for all of us. We kind of forgot that you know our lives are also in the hands of when these people are going up on stage and GMs are making their choices. So there was a, a lot of anxiety associated with that as well to see where we'd be moving to. But I think as soon as well, I had the opportunity to hear my name called and figure out where, where we're moving to next, uh, I think it was just a lot of positive emotions. This is very exciting on one hand, but is it a little bit scary on the other? Yeah, I think it's big. I've never been to New York City before, so I think uh, <laughs> there's no time like now to go experience it. But uh, our team's a really young core, uh, girls that I know really well. So no one's really familiar with the area. We'll be able to do everything together, and I think it'll be really special for uh, to come together as a team as quickly as possible. How important is this league? Tell us what, what's going on now within the, the women's hockey movement. I think it's hard to put into words. I think it's more the hype around the draft even in Barry has been awesome. People don't have to go searching for news on women's hockey. It's there for them. So the visibility we've been pushing for for so long. Uh, we knew people. We'd get people interested and hooked as soon as they it was there for them. So I think to keep growing uh, for that and not only for the young girls that are in Barry too to now have something other than college to aspire to and go to the rink to work for. You had a huge career at Colgate. Yeah, I think. Big, big numbers. <laughs> we, had, we had a great team. I actually, when I committed to go there, we were not good at all. Didn't make playoffs. Oh, so, so you were the difference. I don't know. It wasn't just me. There was a core of about 13 of us that came in uh, one to two years apart and were able to turn the program around. So to see it still thrive to this day has been awesome to watch. So what are the next steps in, in, in the new league? What's happening? When, when do you get on the ice? Yeah, we'll start training camp mid-November. So until then, we're, we're training. Um in our own hub still and then when we get there in, in mid-November we'll be all systems go and we'll start our season in January. All right not a lot of games in this initial season but from meager beginnings right? For sure and I think this will be a feeling out season uh, figure out where we need to make some tweaks uh, ownership management's all on board with that so uh, yeah we'll, we'll hit the ground running but uh, it'll continue to grow and this is the only beginning. Kind of neat to have your own original six. Absolutely. Proud Papa? Oh, uh, for sure. It, it, uh, you've watched how hard Jess has worked for this all, all her life. And to see it come to that day uh, and be selected and hear her name was pretty exciting for all of us. Now, you're the head coach of, of the uh, under-22 elite team. Did you play for your dad? No? 
You encouraged him. him. You played against him. Yeah. Yeah. Those must have been fun times. I I think so. I clearly remember our game. Uh, I tripped a girl, and I heard my dad yell the loudest in the ring to make sure it was called. So, So, yeah, family stuff goes out the window at that point, right? Right, yeah. The Barry Junior Sharks making tremendous headway in in promoting the women's game, the girls' game. but but still, so many obstacles in your way, so many hurdles you have to jump over. How much progress have you been making? I, I think we've made a ton of progress this year. We, we've done a number of things. We've established a management team. And I think by having a management team in place that can look at our program overall, not just for the Junior Sharks, but the Sharks organization in general, um, I think there's a lot of areas that we recognize that would benefit uh, the organization and the players. But we just didn't have the resources or the time to put into it. Uh, I think this management team has allowed us to focus on some of those areas and to approach them. And obviously with what's gone on uh, with the PWHL, it's generated a tremendous amount of excitement in women's hockey. And we obviously want to take advantage of that uh, momentum. Have you seen interest in the organization growing year by year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, J- Jess has come and done camps and things with us with our younger players. Uh, we had our U9 team in our dressing room yesterday, first time that they visited. And a lot of the talk was around, hey, we saw Jess at the draft. So you know they're looking up to that. And like Jess mentioned, the fact that those kids now have the path. So their brothers always had a path to the NHL, but now they see a path for themselves. And I, I think that's fantastic for women's hockey. Do you see the day where you might play in the NHL? No, I think the whole goal of this league is to have our own, um, and that's never been. There's been some stories, some female goalies going over, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think for us it's been to have our own home. Uh, we know our game's very different than the men's, but the thing that we can bring is the entertainment level um, is very similar. So uh, well, I think we'll, people will be surprised who haven't paid much attention to the women's game. Uh, it's a different game, but like I said, to, to sit down and watch, we'll, we'll give a good show. As for the Barry Sharks, a, a new season uh, about to get underway. You've had a couple of tournaments and done very, very well. Uh, tell me about the team this year, because I know you lost a lot of players from last year. Yeah, we, we brought in uh, 12 or 13 new players, and a number of them uh, maybe had played a handful of games at most in our league. Uh, so by starting the season down in Pittsburgh, uh, tremendous U.S. competition. Um, and win-loss record was two wins and three losses, but we learned an awful lot, and we've got a great group that just wants to continue to get better. Uh, we worked really hard in practices for weeks after that, and I think the results in Stony Creek this past weekend uh, show that they paid attention to little details, and by doing that, they can have success, so we're really excited about the group. Yeah, I think you uh, had shutouts in the preliminary games and uh, got to the semifinal game and things uh that didn't fall apart, just didn't go your way. Yeah, you know what? Uh, four games in round robin, there was only two teams out of the 64 that didn't give up a goal, and we were one, which I, I think just is a testament to how hard the girls worked. Uh, and then we ran into a very good team from John Abbott College. Um, an eight-minute lapse gave up three goals, and that was the difference. But, again, a learning experience. They came to practice Tuesday night, ready to go. But our season starts uh, September 30th at home, uh, 4.30 against... Uh, Blue Water, and then Sunday against Cambridge at 2. So we're excited to get going. All right. Tell people where you play, and the games are still free admission, aren't they? They are. So all of our games are at uh, East Bayfield Community Centre. Uh, and one of the um, things the management team has put a lot of effort in, uh, we have Cheryl Gilroy that's going to live stream our games. So we have a crew of three. They've been working hard to get all their technical issues sorted out. 
So I think there's lots of opportunity for people to see our team, and uh, I think we're going to be very exciting to watch this year. I was out to a few games last year, and it's just it's so much fun to watch. It's it's a different kind of game. It's, it's almost a more pure version of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I think when you take hitting out, there's some more room for skill and speed. So I think that's the biggest difference for us. Some advice to some young girl who's thinking of, of uh, following in your footsteps. What do they need to do? Yeah, I think when you have bigger steps in the game that we've implemented recently, it's easy to get caught up in where you want your journey to end. But I think the most important part is how you get there. And if you're not truly enjoying it, uh, it's not really worth it. So as long as you're enjoying hockey and it's a passion and you can go out there and say that you're having fun doing it, it's something you can work towards. But as soon as that changes, um, you know, you want to find something in life that's going to make you happiest. And at the end of the day, everyone's going to stop playing the game and the people you meet along the way will stay the same. So uh, keeping those key values in mind along the way. Sounds good. We will be watching for you in the new year with your new team in New York and uh, following your progress, and we will be following your dad and uh, the Junior Sharks and uh, their endeavors this year. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall is in for his monthly visit, chatting up that fancy new park in Painswick, looking back at a recent council committee meeting on homelessness and its impact, and updating the situation with warming and cooling centers in the city. He's with Ian McLennan. Welcome, Mayor Nuttall. There is a grand opening of, a, I would say, a very special park at uh, Painswick Park. Tell us about this unique park that is one of its kind, I guess, in the city of Barrie. Yeah, we have had uh, a huge uh, contribution from uh, the Canadian Tire folks uh, to Painswick Park to uh, make sure that there's a, a park that's completely accessible, completely inclusive, uh, allowing all children to be able to partake in uh, in the fun activities that, uh, that our kids obviously do around the parks. And uh, it's uh, really... Uh, a, a gem. You know, I asked my son's birthday was on the weekend uh, on Saturday and I asked him, uh, uh, what do you want to do today? Thinking, you know, I'd have some requests to go to a zoo or this or that. And it was, I, I want to go to Painswick Park. And, uh, you know, the kids that are there, the parking lots are full. Uh, people are having fun. It's, uh, it's beautiful to see. And uh, this was a project in conjunction with, with, with Canadian Tire. Maybe you could just explain how this came to get together. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the donation was made by uh, Canadian Tires Foundation, uh, and it was honoring the founders' uh, family. And uh, the uh, the bill was actually there. Uh, Martha was there as well, and it was on her birthday that we actually opened the park. And uh, they made a, a contribution over two million dollars to uh, to make that that happen. Uh, so, you know, when you look at the pickleball courts, the tennis courts, the uh, park itself now, the baseball diamond, you know, this is a real people place. And, uh, you know, I grew up in that area. I can tell you that it has more use now than it ever has. And it's probably the most used park in the city uh, over the last couple of months. It's just incredible to see. So these are kids uh, maybe on the spectrum or disabilities that they can now just be what they are, they're kids. 100%. And I think it doesn't matter whether it's a physical or, uh, you know, a disability that's a, that's uh, affecting uh, mental capacity. Uh, these children are able to be free and uh, and be jo- enjoying their time as children. And uh, it, it's just really, really, really neat to see. Uh, you know, one of them that sticks out to me was, uh, uh, you know, the work around um, sign language uh, that's uh, in the park, you know, seeing kids run up, my own kids run up and 
you know, learning how to spell their name in sign language and that whole, I think, uh, understanding of other children who perhaps are, are dealing with some of these challenges by children that aren't. And I thought that was really neat to see and, uh, and be part of. And so, uh, you know, big kudos to Canadian Tire, to the Dealers Association locally, but also to uh, their, uh, their head office team. Uh, speaking of challenges, uh, there's a public meeting on Tuesday, which the city said there would be with regards to the issue around homelessness and an extension of the motion that was passed back in May. Um, many speakers, I, I took away from it was, uh, we heard from a lot of business owners and people living in the area, um, no direct criticism of home, of the homeless per se, but some of the struggles they are dealing with because of tragically the opioid crisis. What did you take away from that meeting yourself? You know, what I took away was, there's a few things. I think, um, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording was the word respect. You know, I, I, uh, heard that uh, throughout the evening. I heard it from those who were concerned about um, the other word we talked about, which is lawlessness. Um, and I also heard it from those who were looking for more supports for, uh, for, for you know, for the homeless. And so uh, throughout the evening, I thought it was, uh, it was an education for both council and the public. Um, but it was really, I think, down to the point. I've, I found there wasn't much in terms of of um, uh, of skirting around the issues, people were very direct. Uh, they brought forward their concerns. I I hope to see in the future that we are able to get more focused on the solutions. Um, but you know what? Until you discuss the problems, you're not going to find the solution. So I think it was a, a great first step, and and uh, now we've got to continue moving forward and making sure there's a safe city, but one that's also compassionate to those who need it. Now, there are copious notes taken by you and other councillors around the table. Some of the information you may have heard already. We'll give an example. Craig Stevens, head of the BIA, referenced about six overdoses and over several you know, numbers of weeks in the alleyway and concern about the fact that even some programs may have to be shut down around uh, Meridian in the downtown core. Um, all that information you've gathered, where does it go from there? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we are already working towards... Uh, cleaning up the downtown. We have programs we ha- that that have been working for the last number of months. If you think about uh, the One Solutions folks that are walking through the downtown, they're both picking up garbage, but also asking individuals who are, uh, you know, suffering from homelessness that uh, if there's anything that they need help with, they are uh, making sure there's not needles around. Um, being very visible, we have an increase in our police presence downtown. Two officers. Uh, started this summer. Uh, now we'll have the harm unit down there as well to make sure that uh, it's a safe environment. So that's as many as uh, six to eight officers that are going to be functioning in our downtown. We also have uh, all of the supports uh, through uh, the family reunification, the food program. Uh, we've we've stopped the uh, prisoner release to our downtown, and we now have a service that's able to help those folks get closer to home. But there is more to do, and there's certainly with the BIA. Uh, more opportunities to partnership. And so last week uh, at city council or at general committee and city council, uh, we actually saw a direct motion that uh, includes a $35,000 contribution to the BIA to help clean up some of these things. The reality is that is the bad behaviors that are disrupting uh, these events from taking place. And it's tied to a certain geographic location. So I know the BIA is looking at every opportunity along with the uh, owner of the uh, the buildings around there uh, to try to 
to, to mitigate those bad behaviors, to stop them, uh, and to make sure that it's a peaceful and a safe place to uh, hang out with your family. Now, there's a warming center, or sorry, a cooling center was opened at the Gilbert Center uh, in July, I believe. Um, You've got a a warming center that's still needed, the the former police station on Sperling's being looked at. What role does the city have, obviously, in conjunction with the county, and uh, where are we with that? Yeah, the city's role is is of one of, uh, I would say, an investor. Um, We provide the county with the money. The county then manages. They're the, the service manager is what they're called. Uh, for social services in the area, including these these warming cooling centers, so we we have partnered with them in the sense that we've committed dollars to uh, have these services available. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, there's uh, there, there's a lot of work that goes into to these centers, specifically in the winter time, because if you can think about how cold it gets in Barrie, and uh, obviously how snowy it gets as well. Uh, you know, we need to have these facilities available. So instead of struggling and and uh, not having a plan, uh, as in the last number of years, we've come out in advance and tried to work with the county and work with local service organizations to provide it. Uh, I think that they went out to public. Uh, the county did for an RFP uh, to get a response. I don't believe that they chose a uh, a qualified candidate at this point, but uh, we hopefully will have some good news on that front in the coming weeks. What Barry's talking about from Barry 360 on the road at Gildas in the north end of Barry, speaking with Aaron Lutz, who oversees everything here. This is a really important week, the, the launch of the 2024 Ron Reflective Calendar. This has been a huge success for you in terms of fundraising, hasn't it? It's raised over $100,000 since it launched four years ago, and this is a, a milestone. Fifth year is important. And for us here at Gildas Club, providing free cancer support only happens with community support and fundraisers like the Ron Reflective Calendar. The sponsors, all the people who hopefully can buy a calendar at $25 each over the coming months, really help us provide support to quite literally hundreds of people in our community. And this is really important because you don't get government funding, do you? We get zero government funding for the programs that we offer. They're led by social workers. They're there for people with cancer. They're there for the caregivers. They're there for the children. So there's 90 children in our program that are accessing social work support to be able to help them when cancer has been an uninvited guest into their house. 90 children, how many adults? That would be just uh, under 500 adults that are part of the program. And again, most of the people that use our program are right here in Barrie. But thanks to virtual programming, which was discovered over the pandemic, we're actually helping people across the province. So really, distance isn't as much of uh, a hindrance, but the programs and services that we provide are really a scarce resource, and they're available for people when they have cancer-related anxiety or distress. Paint a picture for us. What happens within these walls? We're hosting over 70 programs each and every month. These are support groups, networking groups, creative expression classes like art classes or sewing and quilting groups. We have gentle movement and yoga classes. We have nutritional seminars and other educational programs. And we have social programs. I'm lucky, Dan, that I have a lot of family around. So if something happened, I have them at my side to help me with that burden that cancer brings along with the diagnosis. But for a lot of people, they don't have that family. They don't have that support or they need that professional hand. And that's what we provide at no charge thanks to our community. A home, away from home, friends, family? Well, I worked in the campaign to bring the Cancer Center here to RVH, and the the slogan was bring care closer to home. And it's so they could be closer to family and friends. They are the most invaluable resource when someone is going through a disease like cancer, which is Canada's number one disease. 
And as much as you're helping people who have developed cancer, I'm sure you're a huge help to, to, to their families and, and helping them get through this period as well. The anxiety and the concern that people have, um, it's typically the same, but they wait differently. So people that are caregivers have different questions and different concerns. And when they're around other people that have those same um, concerns, they're able to help move through some of that, find some of the tools and opportunities to be able to help themselves as well as the people that, uh, that they love who are going through a cancer. Sharon Smith, this is your baby. Five years you've been working on this and you've raised a lot of money to help uh, with all the work here at Gilda's Place. It's a pretty exciting time. What was the inspiration for this five years ago? Hey, well, it's a pretty crazy story. If you're ready for I'm it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> it was about six years ago, my husband and I traveled to Nova Scotia and when we were on the plane coming back, there were several ladies across the aisle from us that were whooping it up. And when I asked them what they were celebrating, they told us that they had raised $11,000 for breast cancer awareness. When I asked them how they did it and they said a naked calendar, I turned to my husband and said, we could do that. Guess what? And he said, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> very emphatically. So when I brought the idea back to a mentor friend, um, a photographer, um, all kinds of different people and said, what do you think of this idea? I had people like Stacy that jumped on board right away as a writer and it just grew from there, graphic artists, photographers, and I, I didn't want to honor just one um, form of cancer. I wanted to honor all of them and support somebody like Gilda's Club, who does offer free support to so many people. When you broached this idea in the beginning, did you have trouble finding people who wanted to take part in the calendar? Not at all. That's the strange part. You'd think that people would have some trepidation being a raw and reflective calendar. You know, it's very much like calendar girls, you know, strategically placed props, and it's very, very tastefully done. And I believe with all my heart that we all want to make a difference in this world, and we all want to leave a little bit about our legacy. And so it's a perfect opportunity for people to do both. So we decided men and women, and utilizing all of my contacts with photographers in the, in the Berry and surrounding area, it gave us an opportunity to do something creative and full of heart. And each of them has a unique story to tell. Oh, you have to sit down with a glass of wine, put your feet up and embrace this calendar because the tears will flow with some. And with others, it's just words of encouragement. It's the perfect gift to give somebody who has a cancer diagnosis, who's going through a journey or has done in the past, to let them know that there's somebody else that might be able to relate. You're not alone. You are not alone. Absolutely not alone. And the door is open here. The red door is open and... And there's only two in Canada, and we've got one of them here right in Barrie, right how, beside how our VH. How lucky we like, are. We are. We are very, very fortunate. If somebody wants to uh, buy a calendar and support the cause, how do they go about that? They either come straight to Connect Hair Studio, or they come right to Gilda's Club, or you can even go with the online link. And it's $25 for a calendar, 30 if it includes shipping and handling. So you can even send one out to another province to somebody who maybe would love it as a Christmas gift. Patricia Dent, you were uh, one of the original uh, calendar girls? Well, I was in the 2020 calendar, yes. I was voluntold for that <laughs> because it was just starting up the whole project. How much work is it to put this together every year? It's a lot of work. Um, we, we try not to load it on some people, but I have to say Sharon and Greg do the lion's share. It is a labor of love, isn't it? Oh, totally a labor of love, yeah. How important was it for you to be a part of the calendar in the first place and continue on with the work that you're doing? <laughs> well, at first, it wasn't quite my idea. 
Sharon had asked me because I think getting the word out, figuring out what to say to people when it had never been published was a bit challenging. And so she said, I think you should be in the calendar because I am a cancer survivor. And, and I said, well, okay, if I can have one of my dogs on the left and one on the right, I'd be happy to. And in fact, my calendar picture included uh, two of our dogs who both actually passed from cancer. Oh, no. Yeah, it seems to be part of our family. We're all touched by it in some way, aren't we? We are, absolutely. What about the people who, who pose for the calendar? Do you have any words for them? Any, anybody who might be thinking about it but is a little apprehensive about it because a lot of people have already done it and it hasn't been a huge problem for them? I don't believe it has been a huge problem. What I think for some people, there's a little bit of nervousness about perhaps taking a not fully clothed picture. But it, it can be, it's a combination of the views of the photographer who are great at this, who are very sensitive and who care about the finished product, and the model. So my, my feeling is, sure, you should do that. And I had people say to me, well, what if people pass your photograph around? And I said, I'd say good, because it just means that more people will learn about the work that Gildas does. Everything is tastefully done. It is tastefully done. Wherein the calendar is one way of raising funds, how else do you generate uh, the funds that you need to run Gildas? Well, we'll take people to volunteer their time. You know, whether it's fundraising events and activities or helping set up amazing programs like Sharon and the group has is, this is not possible without volunteers and people in our community, and it's so easy to get involved. For people where it's just the price of a coffee a week, be a, be a monthly donor where you can give $10 a month. We do a lot of important work with that, and I invite anyone to come in, have a tour, have a discussion with me. Find out more about the program and the work that we do here, because we can only fulfill that incredible purpose of helping people with cancer-related anxiety and distress when people know about the work that we do. And you're just a phone call away if somebody wants to drop by for that chat? We're right next to the Tim Hortons up at Royal Victoria Hospital. They can call us uh, at 726-5199, area code, of course, um, and 10 Quarry Ridge. You know, we're here uh, throughout the week. And again, we have hundreds of people coming on in and using our services every week. And we're always happy to accommodate more people, volunteers, or people looking to use our services. And of course you have a website people can go to as well. Yep, gildasclubsymptomuskoka.org or gildasclubsm.org will do. And we're here to be able to support anyone so that no one faces cancer alone. Aaron, thanks for all the work you're doing here. Dan, thank you so much. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. Among other things, we've learned about the speed cameras coming to Barry, got a sneak peek at the revived Simcoe Hotel at Five Points, and got the goods on Eat Impact, which has brought odd-shaped fruit and veggies to dining room tables in Barry. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, what we can expect from the Barry Colts this season, and why you need to be pushing a button or two today. Now this. Our community rocks. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 2 donate Our community rocks. 
on Barry's Rock Station, Rock 95. Today is Test Your Smoke Alarm Day. This is not a new initiative, but it's a new approach to the initiative with a specific day. Let's uh, talk to public educator with uh, Barry Fire, Kate Foster, who has also brought a tag along with her today, the Deputy Fire Chief, Carrie Clark. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thanks so much, Dan. We appreciate your time. Why the change to a specific day? I know we talk every year around uh, the time change to do this. We're getting a head start now? We are, yes. Actually, in 2022, uh, the Office of the Fire Marshal put out that we saw in Ontario 133 fire fatalities, many of which were resulting from a lack of working smoke alarms in um, homes around the province. So this new initiative is um, initiated by the Office of the Fire Marshal to try to address that issue because that is the highest number we've seen in 20 years, which is definitely startling. And before you can push the button on a smoke alarm, you have to have a smoke alarm. And you often find that there aren't even smoke alarms in buildings that you go into. That's right. Um, when we go into a building for inspections or investigations after a fire, often we see the mounting rings on the ceiling. We see the pigtails of the electrical, but we don't find the alarms where they need to be. And it is heartbreaking when we find those. And it is the law have to be there, but people get annoyed by uh, beeps that are telling them there's something wrong with the alarm and it needs probably to be replaced or at least a, a couple of new batteries. Yes, that's right. The alarms are designed to signal to you when batteries need to be replaced. So we often say, you know, the time of year when you're checking uh, or changing your clocks, it's a great time to check your smoke alarms, make sure that the batteries are working so that they have power to do the job that they are there to do. Um, so again, it's the working smoke alarms that actually save lives, but it's up to you to keep them in good working order. So getting on a schedule and making that as regular as possible is a great step forward in the right direction. And, and when they start uh, giving those warning beeps, don't delay. Get out and get uh, either a new smoke alarm because they do have a, a lifespan or get some new batteries. Uh, don't leave it for a day or two or ten. Absolutely. And you'll find that the smoke alarm will chirp at three in the morning because that's when your house is cool and it takes a little more power from the battery to do their their self-checks. So if it's chirping at three in the morning, that is the warning for you to do something about it. Now, if you want to be in charge of the chirp, just make sure that you check it in your schedule and your time and then it won't wake you up at 3 a.m. So it is test your smoke alarm day. What is it you want us to do precisely? We want you to do exactly what the title says. So we want you on September 28th to go around your home testing your smoke alarms to make sure that they are in good working order. Many of the smoke alarms that you have around your house uh, should have a test button right on the top or potentially at the side, but you will be able to see it. So it takes less than two minutes to kind of go around your home testing as many of your smoke alarms as possible. And it also takes, you know, less than two minutes for a fire to actually spread and devastate your home. So we want you to spend those two minutes proactively making sure you're safe so that we don't have to visit you at night in the worst circumstances possible. I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to go there next, uh, that, that you really only have two minutes once that uh, alarm sounds to, to get out. 
Today's furnishings and contents in our home create so much smoke and toxic gases when they catch fire that um, the smoke itself uh, obliterates your site and you need to be able to use that time effectively to get out of the house um, through the, the normal path that you take, but have a second path in mind in case that's where the fire's located. So let's do the protocol. The alarm sounds and you've got family and you need to make a, a phone call, but you need to do other things first. Yes, that's right. What we say is that you need to know your home escape plan and you need to be practicing it so that in the event of a fire, you are well able, even through muscle memory, to know your route and get out. And just like Deputy Clark said as well, think about those secondary routes. So if your smoke alarm is going off, um, maybe in the middle of the night, it's almost your muscle memory that can kick in to help guide you out of the home safely. And once you are out of the home safely, Hopefully you have closed some doors behind you to help sl stop or slow down the spread of the fire. You go to your outdoor meeting place and that's where you call 911 and we come as quickly as possible. So don't delay because like we said, there's, you know, roughly two minutes or less to get out of your home um, safely before the fire could potentially engulf everything. And the advice is pretty much the same if a carbon monoxide alarm goes off, right? Correct. Carbon monoxide, you can't see it, you can't smell it or taste it, but it, it, it does build up in your house. So by the time your alarm is sounding, uh, we need you to exit the home and close all the doors and windows and call us from outside. Our crews will have uh, their, their test equipment and they can see what the levels are. And then we'll We'll try and find out which of the things is creating the carbon monoxide in your home and then call for the service company to um, come and fix that. And are we pushing a button on uh, carbon monoxide alarms as well? Any of your alarms, smoke and CO, just because, again, we want to make sure that they have the power that's needed for them to do their jobs properly. What's the general guideline as far as how many in placement for, for both a smoke alarm and a carbon monoxide alarm? So what we say is that the it's the law, obviously, to have smoke alarms in your home on every level or story of your home and outside of our sleeping areas. So if an individual sleeps in the basement, there needs to be a smoke alarm outside of those bedrooms. Now, in our some of our code updates, new builds... Um, mean that we could have smoke alarms uh, with strobe lights as well in bedrooms. Um, so it does depend on the age of your home as to what is required by law. But at minimum, you should be seeing them on every level or story in your home and outside of those bedroom areas. The other thing to consider is if you have small children or elderly people in your home, you may want to add extra alarms in their rooms or in the areas that they uh, inhabit because a lot of times that's where the incident can occur. So it's never a bad thing to have extra alarms in your house, especially if you sleep with the doors closed. If people want more information or some guidance, how do they go about getting that from you? Yeah, so you can visit us online at barry.ca slash fire safety awareness. That has a lot of our educational information um, right down to different events we're hosting, but also uh, smoke and CO alarms and protocol and what's required. So that website is a great resource. We're also available on social channels as well. So um, Instagram, Facebook, and X, you can follow uh, Barry Fire. And there you can see, again, different PSA posts that we have, different contests that we're running, and get a real understanding for what it is that you need to be safe in your home and space. Thanks again so much for coming in. Thank, Thank you. you. 
puck drops tonight on another Barry Colt season. The North Bay Battalion in town. High hopes for the team this year. As always, Colt's color man and writer Gene Pereira is back with his analysis and insights. He's with Barry 360's Will Conkin. Gene, you recently talked with uh, head coach Marty Williamson. How is he feeling before this game? Yeah, I think obviously, uh, I mean, there's always that excitement to kind of uh, get going in the season and, uh, you know, get to see that the team that you put together and, you know, what it's going to produce on the ice. And, of course, uh, you know, at this time of year as well, with NHL camp still going on, still a lot of players away, so you're still finalizing the roster. Not a lot of time to work on power plays, but, you know, Marty said too, it's a fairly young team. He expects it to be a very competitive team, especially by the time the second half when, they get a little, uh, some of these young guys get some uh, games under their belt. But, uh, you know, he says one of the tough things is uh, always early on is, you know, coming from Mitch to hockey, they're not used to playing those three games in three nights or three games in four nights. And, of course, the schedule maker didn't do very any favors, uh, you know, scheduling with a three and three to open the uh, season, starting with uh, Thursday night's home opener. Uh, against North Bay, then they uh, got the home and home Friday night return to North Bay for that, and then of course in Owen Sound on Saturday night. One of those uh, young guys is uh, Riley Patterson. You also uh, chatted with him a bit. Yeah, you know Riley is one of the guys if uh, fans want to look for a young guy that uh, you know he's uh, just an outstanding playmaker and goal scorer and uh, a real talented kid. And uh, you know he's a big pickup for Barry. They got him for Flint. He was actually going to for, uh, forego the OHL route and go, uh, you know, on a scholarship. Uh, but uh, being acquired by Barry, he gave that up and decided to come here. And there's an opportunity after an outstanding uh, Tier 2 run where he was the uh, the Rookie of the Year across Canada. Um, you know, he's going to be coming into Barry and playing a leading role right away with up in the top six. And uh, Marty Williamson has uh, told me he's really excited about him, and he's certainly a player fans will want to pay attention early on, as I expect that he's going to be a big part of this hockey club, for, you know, pretty much well right from the get-go. You mentioned last time about how we could see some bumps this season because of the Colts losing veteran pieces. Um, what does Barry need to establish right away to get through those rough parts? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, always sound defense. And, I mean, you know, they, they, they took some hits on defense with graduations. Obviously, with the OA situation, they had to move guys. Brandon Hache has been moved to Saginaw. But, you know, they, they still got Connor Punnett coming back, who's come back from Detroit camp, and he's going to be a leader on this team and expect him to see a lot of minutes. Of course, Bo Akey, who's returning from Edmonton, an outstanding 2A defenseman and really an impact guy, uh, and I think you'll see him really step up. Uh, he kind of stepped up when Clark was away in the first half. He'll be in the presence, but, uh, you know, another guy to watch back there is Keyshawn Aitchison, who was a rookie last year and uh, kind of learned his, uh, through the ropes, you know, in the early going, but as you saw the season go on, he got stronger and stronger and he looked outstanding in camp and there's still going to be some learning curves there but he's going to be a guy that logs a lot of minutes. I think for this young club it's just, you know, look I mean, the, the more you keep the puck out of that you increase your chances to win a hockey game and, you know, we talked about offense leaving this team, but for Barry, uh, the important thing is, is uh, you know, playing sound defense and that's going to keep you in hockey games. You already noted a couple of names, but uh, give us a rundown on the guys who have been away at uh, NHL camps. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously one guy, uh, Anson Thornton, uh, you know, his... uh 
an overager and uh, you know unfortunately Hanson broke his uh, uh, f- uh, finger in camp with uh, uh, Arizona and he's going to be at least a couple more weeks as Arizona is going to hang on to him through the injury. Now there's no guarantees he's going to return. He's expected to come back, but Arizona could decide to hang on to him. But unfortunately, that injury uh, he was going to be a big part in that an outstanding goaltender as well. Uh, you know, uh, Connor Punnett we mentioned was coming back from Detroit. Tyler Savard's with Edmonton. Aikies back. Uh, from from Edmonton, uh, you know, and another big one, uh, Edward Chalet, the uh, outstanding importer, first round pick, 20th overall pick by the Seattle Kraken. Um, the, you know, there's, it's not certain that he'll be back for Thursday night opener, but he should return at some point and will be an impact player. And as well, Jay, uh, uh, Jacob Frasco, who's been away with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, he should, uh, there's a good chance he could be in Thursday's lineup as well. Um, Speaking about uh, Thornton, what do you think uh, head coach Marty Williamson will do with uh, the goaltending situation then? Yeah, that's obviously a situation that ties into the OA situation because both, uh, you know, they have two veteran goalies in Thornton and then who's still away and uh, now with a broken finger. And, of course, the Barry native Ben West and talking to Marty, he said that, you know, they're going to keep, uh, you know, Ben West. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, that situation is going to be because if Thornton doesn't get back, West will give him a veteran minder. So, you know, there's some, uh, you know, flexible... Uh, Things there they can rotate through the uh, overage, maybe play three overage forwards, uh, and then and sit west uh, the one game. Uh, but he'll certainly probably carry the load early on, at least while Thornton's away. Well, I think that uh, wraps things up for now. Thanks again for chatting with us, Gene. That's great. Great to be on. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical tweaks, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to what Barry's talking about, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with what Barry's talking about on Twitter at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com. Some of you can still see us on Facebook. We also have our daily Kickstart podcast available from streaming services and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.